Hi, it's Dr. Joel Kreisberg, and I'm pleased to have a conversation with Reggie Mara. Today we're going to talk about narrative healing, a personal perspective, and I'm particularly pleased that my colleague Reggie is on the call, and we really want to feature him as a poet and author as well as uh, a, a writer and a coach and the teacher of the upcoming class narrative healing as well as the program Atelios is living poems writing lives that was a mouthful Reggie welcome to the call thanks Joel it's always good and fun for me to speak with you so I want to go all the way back to sort of the beginning I mean how did you get involved with writing um, I, was, I always enjoyed it in school, but I, if there was a, a pivotal point in my life, it was, it was actually hearing uh, a certain song on the radio in 1970. I can give you the, the quote, uh, the first line anyway. Um, I have seen the morning burning golden on a mountain in the sky, aching with the feeling of the freedom of an eagle as she flies. That was Chris Christopherson. And uh, long story short, I found out his whole history, and I wanted to be able to do what he was doing at the time. And I, I was musically inept, but I, I managed to figure out a way to work with words. So mm. that, that was what really drove me forward. I mean, there's a lot of other influences, but that was the first one I can really point to. Mm -hmm. And so you were writing, but you were also an athlete. Right. And that was something important to you. So your first book was The Quality of Effort. Right. It was, uh, the, the title came from my work with one particular student athlete, but the, the, the genesis for writing the book, as, as I look back on it now, and it came out in 91, it was revised and re-released re in uh, 2013. But in 1991, um, I, I, I really wrote the book to kind of reconcile my love for sports, uh, my 12 years, 13 years as a high school basketball coach in the New York City Catholic School League, and the fact that I had been consistently cut from basketball teams um, at Sacred Heart High School, and then again at St. John's University in New York, which yeah, I, I had no no business in the Division One program. Mm -hmm. But um, so I I really wrote it to try to you know figure out how to reconcile my own personal experience. I didn't realize that back then, but now that's pretty mm -hmm. clear to me. Mm. I know, but you were a teacher, and then you were also were an athlete. But it's interesting. So you you, you reconcile. So that's that's beginning of now writing is healing. Yeah, I mean, you know, that language was not available back then. I mean, to me, other people might have been using it, but but by all means, I mean, the, the book. I mean, the quality of effort. This is the revised version of it. Um, you know, integrity in sport and life for student athletes, parents, and coaches. Um, that was a healing book for me, and not not just because of my experience um, with the student athlete, with with my own getting cut from a basketball team, mm -hmm. but even with my experience as a teacher and the coach, because I learned that you know you can't you can't save everyone. It always doesn't work out well, and just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to win. Mm. So, and then, you know that's again that we all learn that at some point in our lives. I think um, mm. that the quality of effort was my manifestation of that learning. Mm -hmm. But, you know, well, yes, and that was learning, but that was also healing. Yeah. And, um, you know, you began to, as you moved from an educator to a coach, uh, you bumped into a few important authors and educators and researchers who work specifically and done research about writing as a method for healing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, off the top of my head, um, there, an essay by Mary Catherine Bateson, who actually is an, you know, an anthropologist, but her, her essay, uh, she has a book by the same name, um, Composing a Life, mm -hmm. just the importance of having multiple versions of your life story 
and writing the one and using the one that really serves you best. And she wasn't writing specifically about healing, mm -hmm. just from an anthropological standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. James Pennebaker's work, and he's a researcher right. down at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. I, think, I forget which, maybe Austin, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's probably the primary researcher on the use of, of, of writing as a healing modality. Mm -hmm. I bumped into them you know, quite a number of years ago, and more recently into the work of uh, Louis Mel Madrona, um, a variety of other people whose names escape me right now, but I'm, th I'm thinking of the How to Be Sick, Tony Bernhard, Bernhard, something like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. So there's just a lot of a lot of evidence for it, um, and there's a lot of examples that are purely anecdotal. That, right. that uh, expressive writing is definitely a, a healing modality. Um, when done with some kind of focus and intention behind it. Right. Well, I've heard you talk about Pennebaker's book and I mean, Pennebaker's work. And I know, I think you're pretty familiar with it, but I mean, do, what, what stands out about Pennebaker's work that, that, that really are, that showed the value of writing as a tool for healing? Um, basically, cause he was surprised. He didn't set out to do that. And he was surprised by what he found. Um, you know, specifically, just throwing things on the page isn't healing, but writing consistently uh, not, and not ranting from a victimized perspective, but writing in a way that opens up new perspectives and allows you to objectify what you're writing about, um, that's where the evidence of healing through writing um, began to really take hold. And, he, and he's primarily the guy that said, you know, here's what works, here's what might not work and here's what we don't know um you know if it works or not yet so he, he's been pretty precise in, in what he says the writing can and and cannot do right uh, but specifically it's not it's not blaming other people it's not blaming god and it's not blaming the universe for whatever you want to heal from it's taking some responsibility um not so much for what has happened but for what you're going to choose to do about it now and that brings back you know victor frankel Mm -hmm. um, search for meaning, you know, yeah, you mean, yeah. taken from a person except for the, you know, the freedom to choose your response in any given set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And uh, even, uh, you know, Kushner's book back, I think it was in the 1980s, mm -hmm. um, when bad things happen to good people. You know, you know, don't don't say, you know, why did this happen to me? But he basically said, now that this has happened, how am I going to behave? What am I going to do? So that there's there's a great history. I believe it goes back as far as the Bhagavad Gita where you can find evidence um, of writing or at least shifting your perspective as a healing modality. I mean, Bo Bo Boethius in the Constellation of Philosophy had a conversation with philosophy, mm -hmm. you know, with the idea of philosophy while he was in prison. Mm -hmm. And it probably kept him sane. So yeah, so that's that's really important. So there's a way in which then writing serves as a tool for you to better understand oneself or better understand myself. Yeah. And so this is the, what we're we're talking about. Where you we're starting we're using the language narrative healing. Mm -hmm. So the idea because writing allows us to express it's a narrative. Right. Right? I guess we can define narrative, but using writing in this way is what we're calling narrative healing. Yep. Yeah, and that's actually what we're teaching. I mean, you've developed a course with Lois McNaughton at Teleosis Institute, um, and it, it's pervades your work in a variety of ways. And so there's a, a way in which uh, we can learn to use writing as a tool. We can learn to narratively heal. And yeah. It's not right. It's there's te there's techniques. Right. Right. It's that 
you know, I mean, writing something down is probably better than keeping it um, penned up inside, but writing in a way that has been, you know, pretty much empirically proven to be beneficial makes a lot more sense. And, and the, you know, you can, you can find that information online for free. You don't need that to buy a book, um, but you can also be, you know, guided in a few weeks in a wonderful narrative healing course that uh, from Theliosis as well. So um, th there's a lot of ways to get into it. Um, being guided by someone who um, has done it him or herself is great. And then, you know, for somebody who has the, the expertise as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and so that's sort of the kind of work we do. And so part of this was to get part of this conversation is to understand your own work. And so what I notice is because you just recently published a new book of poetry called and now still. Right. And as I read it, and I've been enjoying reading it, um, I noticed so much of this narrative healing in it. And so it was really clear that you're not just talking about it, you're actually doing it. So I'd love to share a little bit of your work with our listeners. So I'm going to think this may be a good time for you to share one of your poems with us. <clears throat> okay. Um, you, do you have one in mind? I'll pick one. But I, can, I, can, I can jump on, on here right now. Well, you know, I, I've <laughs> you got one off the top here. I have the wound open right here. Okay. Well, I'll do that one. This is that's actually a uh, it's not the most fun poem uh, to to hear, but it actually speaks to our responsibility around pain and suffering in our lives. And it's a fairly new poem. It's written in 2015. So this mm -hmm. is called the wound. <clears throat> the wound and pain are given and old. You choose your suffering. When you feel the itch, pick the scab. Feel the itch, pick the scab. A pattern you choose to keep it fresh, raw, open, visible. Keep the past present, wound in focus. Whose fault you think and how unfair it was, it is. Pain, universal, suffering, uniquely yours. How many cycles do you require? Familiar itch, tightening skin, healing scab, you pick. Unable to let go, you pick. You choose and pick. The wound and pain are given and old. You choose your suffering. Mm. So it's, not, it's not the most uplifting poem in the book, but um, I think it, it does what, what, what it wanted to do, and, and I think it does what I intended for it as well. So, Well, uh, yeah, what, I mean, what I hear is one of the things that it does is it, 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 it gets me, the listener, in touch with the idea of how much my narrative is mine. <laughs> it's yeah. something that yeah. I create, that, uh, that I can say, well, I'm a victim of this and victim of that, but I'm choosing it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. Which possibly allows me to perhaps see that I don't have to choose it. Yeah. And, and that, that's a big deal. And it's a, and it's a, it's, I want to just point to the difference between um, choosing the suffering and blaming myself for the injury. And that's, a, you know, we're not suggesting that we're not saying I, you know, that we have responsibility for our cancer or for our, you know, our heart disease or for our, you know, the end of our relationship, we probably have some, you know, in, in the end of a relationship, mm -hmm. but we're just speaking about the response now that this has happened, whether it's a, you know, dis-ease, an injury or some other loss um, is taking responsibility for, you know, 
the suffering that comes with it because we can impact that for sure. Right. We do have a choice. Yeah. We do have a choice. So it's interesting because then there's the there's the content of the poem, but the, you know that we're discussing now. But then there's the writing of the poem that is part of the narrative healing process. So. Right. You know, as a writer, you know, can you share a little bit of what that's like for you in terms of writing and how it's served for healing, it served as a healing modality for you in your in your writing or in your life? Yeah, so, so it's actually uh, most people who are who are paying attention to the lives might be able to appreciate this. But that that poem, as an example, um, I know I choose my suffering. I, I know that up here. I have that learning it's it's in my my mind um that doesn't mean i stop choosing poorly or that i stop you know going back to the past and and keeping my suffering going unconsciously so what the poem does for me what the writing that poem um did for me but the existence of it now is much clearer for me is to say is to really get into the nuts and bolts of how I choose my suffering and how I might make things worse in my own life. Um, you know, the idea of the scab, picking the scab, you choose to pick it, you know, it itch and you go back into it and you keep on going back. Um, so what it did, for, what writing tends to do for me is, is, is two, well, probably more than two things, but two big things is it creates clarity. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in so doing, I don't know which one of these comes first. I haven't thought about this. This is be an out loud thought here, but it also helps me shift perspective or deepen and broaden perspective. And through that, the clarity probably does come. Mm. So this was a, you know, this poem serves me well because now that I've written it, you know, I can't make believe I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have, it's just, it's just a deepening of, of knowledge and maybe more of an embodiment of it for me. Well, it's interesting. So, so you, so what you're describing is, 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 um, is, increasing perspective right as a as something that comes from the writing process Um, and you know it's interesting we don't tend to i mean when we think about our our healing process this is something that we do in the narrative healing class we talk about the the structure of the pathogenic perspective and the structure of the salutogenic perspective what is the stage the first stage of the salutogenic or, or or health generating perspective is is uh what is the fancy word cognitive appraisal, but understanding what's really going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And understanding really going on is taking uh getting the full perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the picture, what's happening to me. I mean, in some ways you say, well, it's a diagnosis. Well, diagnosis, isn't that great? You've been told you got this particular thing, but the next stage is what does that really mean? What does that mean to me? Right. Well, we are given by the, the, the medical system what it what it means to our body in terms of historical perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we're not really given much chance to figure out what that means in terms of me understanding my own history or what it says about how my history has brought me to this point. Right. Yeah. And then how I can use that to understand where I'm going. Right. Right. So, the, so therefore, how do I can understand myself and how narrative healing fits here is, is the potential to let me begin to explore what meaning my experience has. Yeah. And, that, and that's, um, I, I like the way you laid that out because that's consistent with, with um, what I, when I mentioned Pennebaker earlier, mm-hmm. 
Um, it is about getting the meat, you know, coming to some sense of meaning that serves us and broadens our perspective. It's not about the rant on the page about, you know, why did this happen to me? And the way you just articulated that is, is 100% consistent with that idea. And it's, um, we, you know, we might begin with the rant. I mean, I have at least one rant in this book because it's part of the, um, the bigger healing story. Um, but the rant itself isn't typically good enough. Well, I mean, the rant is a way of getting emotional reactivity, <laughs> you know, experienced. I mean, I was just having this conversation with a, uh, a client of mine who is, uh, her, is, his partner is suffering from, uh, you know, is slowly, is slowly moving into dementia. And there's a way in which there's no system in their life for letting things go. And as the first assignment, as I, you know, I, I often give people the creating the conditions for healing and this, this had this, their life is so cluttered. I was like, you need to make some space. So the first is just to go around and look at the different rooms and start to imagine what it could be like if you made more space in it. Right. And as she started to, 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 to do, she did a little cleaning project where she cleaned a closet and worked and got rid of some books. There was a sense of all the sadness that came up. Okay from releasing the books, yeah. right? Yeah. And I said, well, that's really healthy to have the sadness and that's part of the process of releasing it. But having that sadness doesn't necessarily mean that you don't go ahead and release it. Let's not mistake the sadness with the releasing. <laughs> Let's yeah. see it as the process. Yeah. Yeah. So that expression of sadness is also can be ranting. Yep, yeah. And, I, and I, I, yeah, I would just jump in and say, I mean, my, uh, the, you know, the book not only but primarily deals with uh, my experiences of the respective dyings and deaths of my, both my parents and my sister, who died unexpectedly in her 50s. Um, and there's some other things in there as well. And so my two experiences were around sadness or grief and anger. Um, you know, those are the, the two biggest emotions I was negotiating as I wrote these. And I wrote them to write them. I didn't know they were going to be in a book ever. Um, the, the process was just something that I needed to do as a writer to figure out my, you know, my journey. Um, yes. So a lot of, a lot of the, the poems are literally narrative. They take a snapshot of what actually happened. Um, I mean, I have one that's actually the, the moment of my mother's death. I was there for that. Um, I have you know, conversations with my dad when he was worried about my mother's health. I have just a variety of things that really, for me, um, in hindsight, were very healing to be able to capture and interpret in, in a very meaningful way. Yes. Well, no, it's interesting. Well, in this, in this little this, so there's the writing of it to actually have the perspective so by literally writing it, you're moving it from a purely subjective experience of just having sadness or having loss to putting it out. So it's now you can look at it, right? Yeah. So there's, a, there's something that happens by doing it. There's something else by happens being by being able to look at it yeah. right, and change your understanding. And so you're making room for the emotion. So I'm, I'm just thinking the thought that came up to me is, is it's like, it's, it's a type of exercise in, in a, in, in, in uh, emotional, in narrative healing. I mean, in other words, you have a built-in way of saying, here's one of my tools, yeah. right, of healing as I write. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and something that, just to, to broaden that slightly, that's exactly true. 
and you know this because you and I have had multiple conversations over the last four years on this topic. But when I first began negotiating the, the, the journey of narrative healing in a conscious way, um, I, I, I identified how I have healed in my life. And I came up with five things. It's really quickly. Mm-hmm. Writing was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other four, if I can remember them, uh, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure I can, were meditation, yeah. wandering in nature, yeah. um, physical exercise. Primarily, it used to be running. I don't do that anymore, but uh, weightlifting. And then uh, intimate conversation slash relationship. And primarily, you know, by intimate, I mean emotional intimacy in, in really, really uh, deep conversation with others. Those are th- five ways that I've, I've healed over the decades. I didn't know that until I began to look at it consciously. And right. the narrative one is, is the thing that I've been doing, you know, the writing part since I was in high school. Right. Right. Which is, and so what you're describing now is becoming a coach. So you're a professional coach realizing that I need to start to bracket techniques and tools that I've used that I can help others use these tools. So as a health coach, often, you know, a lot of people need a lot of work around nourishing themselves and eating or about fitness. But I think this is just an essential piece too. Like you can see this narrative healing as, a, as something that someone can do in order to have a be emotionally, to emotionally heal. Oh, sure. And because, I mean, you said it just, you know, probably two minutes ago about, you know, you know, making it something that we can then see and work with. And you, you just gave an example of what you know, most of us you know, uh, w- would agree and thank Bob Keegan for is that whole you know, the developmental move to take the subject of um, you know, a current level of development and make it the object of the subject of the next one. Be- before we make it objects, so we can see it and work with it. We really can't do much with it. And when we can, once we can do that and see that it's not us, but it may be part of us, uh, you know, whether it's an emotional thing or even a physical um, ailment or, or, or real pain that we're dealing with, the ability to objectify it in a conscious way and work with it is, is, is huge and necessary, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And and so that's something that we use over and over and over again as a tool uh, as coaches when we're training, we're working with our clients. Yeah. When I work with my patients, because my patients and clients are the same. And then we're also training coaches to, it's a different move to be accountable than it is to just to understand broader perspective. Right, yeah. It's, yeah, I would say it's the, the way you just spoke that is the difference between knowing something and, and, and uh, having an idea of it and actually, actually doing it um, and, and being in touch with it. So it's the application of as opposed to just the knowing of. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's amazing is so we've been having this conversation now for the last oh, a couple of years, but then it out pops this book and now still, which, uh, you know, and it's all about your family and, you know, your, your mom and your dad and your sister. And you can you can just see how narrative healing is written all over it, uh, in it, around it, above it. And so if anybody wants to learn a little bit about narrative healing, they're certainly welcome to purchase your book. And I encourage you to do that. Uh, let's have you read another piece. Sure, I'll, I'll select one that's actually more, a little bit more upbeat. No. Well, actually, I was not going to say that. I, yeah, I, 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 um, I like that last one. <laughs> well, I, I, I like all of them. <laughs> they wouldn't be in this book otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
here's one that's a little bit has a little bit of humor to it. Um, it's actually the it actually opens the book, and it's called Holiday Death Math, mm. um, which is actually very hard to say because it sounds like you have a lisp when you say death math. Um, but I'll, I'll share this one because it, it it sets the tone for the entire book and and provides some some of the actual narrative. And this will take about a minute and a half or so to read, so it's a little bit longer. <clears throat> Holiday Death Math. My father left a leg and a half along with the rest of his 88-year body on Valentine's Day, 1996. My mother dropped her 86 or 83-year-old multiple-bypassed heart, dialysized kidney, and early colon cancer between the turkey and the tree on December 15, 1999, 30 days before my January 15, 2000 wedding, and 10 years and nine months before my sister slowed then brought her heart to zero on St. Patrick's Day, 2009, three quarters through her 55th year, leaving 9,000 cardism nanograms in her still tired blood. And me, my hips are only 12 years old in my 61st year, and I've got long-term plans for them in some 200 plus bones and assorted organs, but I can't help notice that February 14th, December 15th, March 17th, scream for January 16th, and they're screaming directly at me, albeit without a specific year. And while the day after my anniversary means less now that I'm no longer married, with not quite 13 years of marriage and the continuing education of divorce, I feel I'm beginning to understand some things and in no hurry to go anywhere without this body, especially to fulfill a coincidental family death sequence or arbitrary arithmetic progression. Of course, their 75-year average age of death is just six-tenths of a year lower than statistical U.S. males, and I could bump that to 80 with a sex change or deeper embrace of my feminine side, or to 79 by becoming Japanese. These trajectories land somewhere between 2029 and 2034, but my father smoked for 70 years and made it to 88, albeit minus half a leg, but with original hips. And I've never smoked, have a resting pulse of 58, total cholesterol 169, triglycerides 56, and I've been laughing for more than 50 years, long before Norman Cousins prescribed it. Shit, I might, leave, I might live forever. The Grim Reaper will be a Grin Reaper when I'm done with her. I eat filet of sole with a dark night glaze and midnight chocolate cake, I know I'm vast emptiness, eternal presence, and original face, and that infamous hot dog vendor can't make me one with everything because I always already am, and with relish to boot. Uh, I like that one. <laughs> well, I mean, see, and that one for me, and is you know, it's, it's all the, the the statistics and the dates of death, and um, but there's a certain lightness to it that I've found through paying attention to it. It's not fun. Um, you know, grieving is real. Mourning is real. Um, mourning with a, a U in it. Um, but there's a certain lightness that I found because, you know, I, I know I'm going to die. I don't know when, I don't know how. Um, but I looked at that, that these stories and, um, you know, la laughter is just a lot healthier for healing than uh, incessant uh, crying for me. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and it all, but it, laughter also reflects a certain um, way of seeing the, the, you know, that life is going to continue. That life is there. I guess I was going to say, you know, I was thinking of the, of the Buddhists. So like you get the joke, uh, you know, what is, you know, but oh. there is a, that laughter is very healing, but it doesn't take anything away from the sadness. It puts into perspective or back to perspective again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause, and, and it's easy to jump into writing as a healing modality and narrative healing and getting it on the page um, and getting caught in, I don't, I'm not even sure of which word I want to use, but forgetting the humor of the world, forgetting the, the laughter, forgetting the joy um, and being recognizing that it's okay to laugh in the middle of suffering. Um, as long as you're not laughing at somebody else's suffering, but but the, it's it's just part of of a much bigger picture, and we try not to leave anything out. We want this to be a very integrated approach to healing, um, not one that's stuck in a particular worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's important, and so we're we're trying to you know. So I think one of the underlying elements is is that I think to you know because we're. I mean, this isn't really just for health coaches. This is for coaches in general. It's also just for any general listener who wants to understand that our story is part of our healing. I mean, that's what narrative healing really is. Our story is part of our healing. There's a way in which we've inherited a cultural bias um, that looks at healing as as something that we have to do to our, our bodies versus something that we have to participate in wholly. Right, so uh, you know, our interest in working together and our offering is 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 giving people the tools and the skills to actually to to to, to allow us to see our story as part of our healing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you said that because, as we know, healing may have nothing to do with curing anything. They mm-hmm. they can go hand in hand. They can emerge together or one after the other. But it's very possible to heal without being able to cure whatever it is that, you know, from, from a, um, a, a physiological standpoint, um, healing is available, uh, even if curing isn't. And we, we know that. We, we know real case, real stories of it. So it's important to hold that. Right. And it, which is interesting because it's important to hold that and it's important to recognize that you kind of need both in a way. Yeah. Right. And we're not trying to replace any type of healing. We're sort of saying, here's something that's actually easy, free, cheap and accessible. But you have to actually incorporate it into your life as a technique. And that's where you it really helps to have someone who's committed to to narrative healing as a, as a teacher. To sure. show you the guy. So, I mean, I guess mindfulness is a different technique. It's very healing for people. And it's like, yeah, you can go rent a mindfulness tape or you can go to one particular class, but it's most effective if you have someone guide you through various stages and you learn how to get yourself out of first gear into something that you can do as a daily practice. Sure. Yeah. How much do you write? Do you have a daily, do you have a writing practice as a pattern? I have had a writing practice as a pattern, but because I write a lot, as a, as a teacher and doing student assessments and I, I blog now, I, I don't have a set time of day to write. I typically now write when I'm moved to write. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to say that because I love writing enough that I'm moved very often, but it's not like seven o'clock in the morning or five in, you know, in the evening or something like that for me. Um, I, I write when I'm moved and that's pretty uh, frequent. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when when uh, when working with uh, writing as a tool to give to others, um, you know, outside of a teaching a, a situation, um, how uh, what is a way that it gets integrated into working with coaching? Working uh, with well, well, one of one of the requirements um, for when I coach, and it's written, it's it's actually in the coaching agreement, the written contract, um, is that the the client will keep will keep a written journal. Um, so. The, the story gets told in writing um, for the client. And that's actually, you have to do that if, 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 you, if I coach you. That's, you know, I don't negotiate that one. Um, and right, not, so they, not so it's shared with me. I will listen if someone wants to share it. But because I know the benefit of it and I've never had a client um, complain. Mm-hmm. Um, in, fact, in fact, let me say that in a positive way. Um, the vast majority of clients are grateful for having to write things down because they discover things that they would not have, they may not have come to had they not done their reflection in writing. Right, right. So this is really a, you know, a key piece that we're trying to, uh, to, 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 to sort of get at in, in our conversations. And in, in our in our training, which is not trying to place anything, we're just saying the opportunity is so big to use writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's um, it, it, interestingly when you, you mentioned that we're not trying to that yeah, curing and healing go. You know, it's important to have both. Sometimes we'd much rather have both. Interestingly, that I have I have twelve year old hips. You know that, and um, that was a big deal for me. I was a pretty you know decent athlete and a, a twenty five year runner, competitive age group runner, and um, I. St- so I got cured. I had osteoarthritis. I had no cartilage left in my hips. It was very painful. And I got cured by basically having them replaced. Um, and I, I've never written about that. I've actually, so my, my writing and healing has been focused more on the emotional end. I've actually never written about the, um, the one thing where I was literally cured because the surgeon who was great, I mean, he took he took the condition and the pain away. Um, and so the curing was there and I didn't write about that looking for healing. Um, I think I've, I've healed through it, but I never wrote about that one particular issue. And that's, that, that's a mystery to me. And maybe that's something that will emerge at some point, but I can't explain that one. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, 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 it's, it's fascinating. So, so they, they, these go together in a way. They're complementary, and they're while they're often overlooked in a conventional med- medical setting, I think we're here to make sure it's not overlooked in a health coaching setting because it's such a, a great opportunity not to replace the more uh, physical, behavioral, or reductionistic perspective. It's to say, well, we're going to do both, right? Oh yeah, and because the the writing helps create awareness. I mean, one of the ICF's you know core competencies is creating awareness. And if I ask someone to go out and change their behavior, and there's no story behind why that's a good idea, and what the experience is like, and what they become aware of as their behavior changes, whether it's beginning to walk, beginning to work out, changing their diet, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, the writing requires um, that they reflect. Now, is it possible to write something down and, and not increase your awareness and not learn anything? I guess that is possible. I don't know many cases of it happening that way. Mm-hmm. But um, the, 
coaching that requires or at least suggests written reflection brings the component of creating awareness right to the forefront, which coaching that simply attempts to tell someone to change their behavior doesn't get at. And I think that's a big deal. Yeah. So actually, it's interesting because you're describing it as a muscle. It's a muscle you have to use. Right. To right. practice. Right. And that's just as much of a muscle that, that as, as, as eating well and as exercise. So it's, yeah. it's, it's emotional fitness in a way using a mental uh, skill to create a kind of an emotional fitness. Yeah. I mean, because the writing process, just as chewing thoroughly, all right, and, and not doing 15 other things while I'm eating my meal helps me digest my physical food. Writing as a reflective uh, practice um, helps me digest my emotional and cognitive and even spiritual food, you know, that which I take in on a daily basis, which isn't necessarily physical. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a help with the digestive and the assimilating process for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. That gives us a moment for you to hear another poem. Okay. Dessert. Oh. Yeah, dessert. The appetizer, the main course. Now I want some dessert. <clears throat> so here's, well, I, I read the first um, poem in the book. So let me, let me um, provide the, the final poem as well. Um, and not that I won't read another one if, if, if you'd like me to, but um, this is called, this is a new one, again, is written in 2015. Um, and I joke, I've read this in public already, and I joke that it's a poem for anyone who's been waiting to finally figure out um, the secret to living a conscious life. I finally figured it out, and it's, it's in this poem. And it's a joke, though, because I haven't figured it out. But it's called, uh, it's called The Old Lesson Again and Again. And it's written with a, you know, it uh, says after William Stafford. And uh, because there's a line in here that speaks to the title of one of his, uh, his books. The old lesson again and again. And then one day, if you're lucky or unlucky, or you recognize a moment of grace or grace recognizes you, you wake up to find what you thought was the way things are is how you are. And the real work begins because how you are doesn't reveal itself in one fell swoop or even two full sweeps, but rather one belief, view, habit, lens, experience, or culture at a time. And just when you think you see clearly that you understand things as they are, another veil falls, an insight arrives, and you realize you're capable of yet another shift. Other transformations await. Further openings beckon. Subtle lenses still filter your view, and this is the way it goes, the way things are, the way you are, the way it is. And recognizing this, you breathe deep, relax a bit, or more or less okay until the next time you forget the way things and you are, and perhaps awaken again, remembering beliefs, views, habits, lenses, experiences, cultures, veils, insights, shifts and transformations emerge and fall away, emerge and fall away. And that's the way it is. Really, that's, that's exactly the way it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, I love the pause and the digestion. It's like, hmm. So thinking about yourself and your trajectory of how you see, I mean, you know, it's, you know, we started at the beginning, you know, you, you had to get into writing, but somewhere along the way, it seems like this got very coherent, these, these different streams, educator, coach, athlete, writer, teacher, narrative healing, like how does it, how do they all tie together? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, part of it, I'll say, I'll say this honestly, it's, 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 um, um, you're, you're partially to blame for that because yeah. you know, we found each other, uh, you know, some of those, you know, we, we, we were interested in teaching. We we're both interested in healing. You both have written. And so you and I in, in our, in the last four years have, have done some things that, that have allowed me to integrate my work as an educator, my work as a writer and a poet, uh, my work as a coach. Um, and then, you know, to say as a healer as well, but those other three are, are my way into those. Um, I, I would not have guessed at that particular trajectory even 20 years ago. I didn't know it. Um, I wasn't a coach 20. I was, you know, I was a basketball coach uh, and I was doing coaching informally, but I wasn't a professional coach. So I wouldn't, I didn't, it wasn't some, uh, some vision of the particular trajectory of, of, integrating those four disciplines but what it was for me was a consistent um, trajectory and this is where I think the, the per personal vision came into play for me was I was always interested in my own development I wanted to understand things more deeply and more broadly um, and when institutionalized education when I was a high school teacher and basketball coach which I loved got kind of small for me because my curriculum, I wanted a bigger, a bigger palette to work with. Um, I left to figure that out on my own. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to bump into, uh, you know, I'm a teaching poet. I've gone into schools and other places and, and, and helped people write poetry. I bumped into integral you know, theory and practice, which was a, you know, an expanding modality for me, as I know, you know is for you as well. Um, and then the coaching just gave me another tool besides teaching, per se. Um, and they all work together really well. Because for me, the lines are blurred. Um, uh, you know, you know, when, in what moment am I coaching someone? At what moment am I teaching someone? It reminds me of Silsby's book. Um, I think it's The Mindful Coach, where he, he delineates the, uh, the eight roles, I think. Um, but for me, they, they blend together often. And it's, 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 it's very comforting to know that you can, I can shift back and forth, even through the writing, because the writing can be, can be educational. Um, nice. And the, the goal, again, is to broaden horizons, expand perspectives, and do some, and guide some healing. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, don't, I don't care if somebody calls it teaching, coaching, you call it what you want, as long as it's, it's doing the work, um, I'm pretty happy with that. 
don't yeah. know if I answered your question. No, I actually like that because that you know you can see how healing is a good word for it because it allows you to sort of you know be finding your way toward uh, the light at all times, toward staying above the the waves. I mean, there's a certain there's a lot of metaphor that we can come up with, but it is it allows you to sort of constantly be moving in a way that's positive, and I think that's what we're sort of saying. Healing is we're trying to you're clearly trying to help others have share that gift with others yeah yep yeah and it comes through your writing and it comes through the, pro the programs that you're offering um and you know and the messages that you're giving and so uh i guess we were i mean the, the we, we titled this particular conversation a narrative healing a personal perspective sure. uh you know i think i think that you think we feel like we've achieved we're, we're, we're achieving that <laughs> no, I, I think so yeah yeah um, if somebody wants it to get real personal, I suggest they go to Amazon and buy the book because you can learn much more about my family and me and healing. <laughs> I'm going to hold it up my turn so you don't have to do it, right? I really, you know, I'm really enjoying the book. And, and I would say, I, I would actually encourage if you're, if you're a health professional, I think it's really worth reading because it really gives you the perspective of both just as a person who has, you know, has to deal with illness and, and disability and and death in a family and and as well as the how um modeling how one can use getting in touch with oneself as a way of 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 steering through that course which is everybody it's a it's it we're all going to have this story in some way yeah yeah no no one given enough time um doesn't doesn't run into aging and death as far as i can tell so um, and whether you're, I'm negotiating my own or, or my, my uh, loved ones or my close friends, um, it's very real. It's very real. Uh, yeah. So, um, that, so I think that's, you know, kind of, you know, so I really encourage you to, 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 to get the book. Um, you know, there's courses at teleosis.org. Uh, I don't think we're going to be date specific. I check out our website and anytime to see what courses that Reggie is teaching, because I think that the courses cycle through over and over and over again. Right. Uh, you know, we're, uh, I thank you for joining this call, Reggie, and, uh, I look forward to working with you some more and, and the next chapter yeah no you're, you're very welcome i always enjoy our conversations and this one was nice and relaxed too we weren't trying to jam something into three or four minutes i know uh, that's good it's actually good to have a, an extended conversation and um and again i appreciate the opportunity to do some work with you and, and teleosis it's, it's fun for me and mm -hmm. um and i think we're doing some some good work all right yeah. thanks